Gillen Ross Goes Bodacious Horror Podcast. I, as ever, am Johnny Five, and I'm joined by my dear friend and colleague, the T1000. T1000, how are you this week? I am very good. <laughs> <laughs> so, T1000 doesn't even sound like that. that was, no, he doesn't. No, he's kinda... His brother is the lead singer of Filter. Is that right? Yep. Wow, they do look similar, don't they? Well, yeah, that's because they're brothers. <laughs> <laughs> Pair of Patricks. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Gil, how the devil are you? Are you well? Uh, I'm not too bad. I've uh, put a bed together today. Have you, yeah? Yes, because I bought a bed. You'll tell me it was twice the size of the house that you currently reside in. It is. It's massive. I bought a king-size bed, <laughs> thinking I could just well, do the king? it. Well, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Thought I could just do it with a wee bit extra room, and I didn't expect king size to be quite as large <laughs> as it is. So are you feeling like a king in your domain? No, I'm slightly terrified of it, so I think I'll just sleep on the couch from now on. <laughs> uh, so have you man? Have you finished uh, putting it up? Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, yes, yes, <laughs> I have. It's one of the kind of best experiences in the world is finishing building a bed and then lying in it. There's nothing quite quite like that. Well, as long as you're alone, I, th- I could think there would be at least one better experience <laughs> than that. <laughs> what do you mean as long as you're alone? <laughs> lying in your bed where you yeah. set up a television with a PlayStation 2 and you start playing Tomb Raider. <laughs> oh yeah, That's yeah, what, of, course. of course. That's what I did. <laughs> I've set a TV and my PS2 up right next to the bed, so my oh, <laughs> my side of the bed has now changed. Fantastic. To be, Fantastic. Bes- be beside the telly. <laughs> so do you still have quite a lot of PS2 games then? That are I've got a mountain of shit ones, yep. Ah, I've, I've got one sitting here that you can have, it's uh, X-Men Legends or something along that kind of line. Oh, oh cool. Precursor pre- <laughs> to the... The Marvel, what was it? What was it? They did the kind of Marvel Ultimate Alliance. It's kind of like the X Men precursor to that. I've never played an X Men game. In it's very my good. Life. Yeah, it's great. It's really good. Um, same with the Marvel vs. Capcom games. They kind of started out as as X Men games. Yeah, we've still not played think, any more Injustice. No, we haven't. We haven't. We've, have you been playing that at all? Or I haven't because the last time. The, we were going to play it, you said, oh, I'm not playing it, because you'll have been practising this week. <laughs> but you've been, I gave you a loan of it three days after me buying it, so you're going to be like a, you're now going to be a combo machine. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> <laughs> I can die in lots of different positions on screen. <laughs> well, I've been playing a, a really naff uh, 
Well, I've been really enjoying it, but it's WWE All-Stars. And it's these kind of quite characteristic, uh, kind of cartoon character-esque uh, portrayals of each character. So they've got these huge uh, torsos and tiny wee legs. Um, it's bizarre, but it's only a tenner, so can't complain. So it's just like the real thing, then? It's like the real thing, exactly. Exactly. So um, Featuring and two characters that have appeared on television. Yep. I'm in the middle of making my Sin Bodhi character as well. There's a creator wrestler thing. So, make, making Kazanli. Cool. So, yeah, that's <laughs> that's our exciting lives. Well, no, that, my exciting life is that I bought a bed. What yeah. What have you been up to? Um, well, uh, the nice weather has been uh, pretty awesome, but it's been quite tiring. Have you not found that the same, girl? Yeah, I've also found it a bit too hot. Yeah, we're not really used to it in this country. It's um, <laughs> this is what it's like in the winter everywhere else in the world. But <laughs> we're um, yeah, we're really not used to it. Uh, but yeah, we went, uh, myself and my folks went away up to Calendar for the day, so that was pretty awesome. Um, yeah, and that's been about the the most exciting thing, just working away, uh, doing my doing my thing, um, and watching wonderful wonderful movies for this. Uh, it's fine podcast. Superb. It yeah. Is, it has been too warm though, hasn't it? It's, it's been incredibly warm. It's been, yeah, I think by the time this is out, the weather will probably have, have broken and we'll, be, <laughs> we'll all be complaining about how cold it is. Well, everybody usually likes it when it's really warm. And yeah. what I like is that at the end of the really warm period, uh-huh. there's going to be a big lightning storm. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Apparently that's tomorrow night. Oh, there we go. We should have recorded then. I know, that would be very atmospheric. To get the effects and then... Very atmospheric. Then we could have been blown up. <laughs> we could have been blown up? Yeah. Lightning strikes a building. We're going to buy like a lightning rod from that strange man that's just come into town. Yep. <laughs> it's just a golf club. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, mate, might I buy a set of golf clubs? I, actually, I read on Friday that it was 37. Uh-huh. 37? <laughs> no, it wasn't. It was like 80. It was, <laughs> but I like to think that people would imagine that an uncomfortable... Random nu- You're just saying random numbers here? No, it, it was like 80 degrees. Ah, 80 degrees, right, okay. <laughs> what? <laughs> You're just saying numbers. Friday. Friday, ah, Friday see, was 12. With a chance mm. of 14 on the horizon. <laughs> oh, man. Listening to the, the shipping report. <laughs> so, yeah. Have you been up to anything? Oh, sorry. Have you managed to watch any exciting horror movies? Uh, not really. Just a bit of uh, Wars of Gummage. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, how, how does that hold up? I really like it. But, yeah? But this afternoon... Because mm-hmm. I, I was thinking, I recognise the the girl that's in that. I, uh-huh. I'm sure she grew up to be a proper grown-up actress. And she did. Sure. Uh-huh. And then she died. <laughs> that was a bit depressing. Yeah, absolutely. She was in Four Weddings and a Funeral. Right, okay. She was the kind of quirky sister with the red hair. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, she sadly died of a an uh-huh. asthma attack. 
Oh, God, that's a shit way to go. Yep, she was only 31. Oh, Christ. Yep. So I thought Oh, that, that's quite depressing. Yep, I thought that's a wee bit sad. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. So there you go. So, um, Wazzle Gummage, yeah. Uh, so I need to need to start that for our super secret project that's... <laughs> that's looming. Looming on the horizon, as always. Um Americans uh, will have probably no idea at all about Warzel Gummage. Yeah, do you want to give them a quick uh, quick synopsis from your, your memory? Uh, he's a scarecrow who walks and talks and isn't supposed to walk and talk. Well, he's, he's allowed to walk and talk, but he's not supposed to talk to people or be seen by people. And he's sure. friends, two kids. But he's a bit, he's a bit grumpy. <laughs> and he's in love with a doll called Aunt Sally. Yeah, I remember Aunt Sally. Yeah. I remember that. So that, um, and who, who portrays Wazzle Gummidge again? That's John Pertwee. Yeah. Who was there, Doctor Who. Is there anyone else who we, we would perhaps uh, recognise or know in the series? Uh, Joan Sims from uh-huh. like, the Carry On films and stuff. She's Oh, yeah. She's in it. Uh-huh. She's the Lady of the Manor type thing. Right. Mm-hmm. There's, I'm only about four episodes in, but sure, I think it's the sort of thing that familiar faces will just pop up. Yep, yep. Uh, loads of cameos and things like that, you'd imagine. Yep. And then cool. they moved it to Australia for two series as well. Honestly? Honestly. Like eight- did, they get, did they get funding over there? Was it some network that was paying it? It huh. must have been because it was eight years after it finished over here. Ah, right, okay. So that seems probably like there's been reruns and then there's been a huge amount of popularity for it and yeah, pretty much been brought back by them. Apparently the premise of that is Aunt Sally is sold and uh-huh. is being posted to Australia. So Wurzel throws himself through the the baggage thing to follow her. Yep. You wouldn't get away with that these days, would you? No, you wouldn't. Health and safety, political yeah. correctness gone mad. Etc. Etc. And I'm a little bit worried because Wurzel Gummidge has a a robin's nest in uh-huh. his chest, right? And okay. that's that's transporting animals. Uh- <laughs> <isn't it? So laughs> they throw the book at him. Yeah, they would. I've I've seen a reality TV series all about this stuff. <laughs> UK border force. Yep. No, well, it's just, no, it's an Australian one. <laughs> Australian Boulder Falls. It's it's more extreme because they just don't let you in with anything. They don't. No, they, don't they don't let you in. Yes. <laughs> yep. That's why it's so far away. Just to <laughs> to make it less appealing. It used it used to be just off Devon, and Australians were getting fed up with people turning up with animals and fruit and vegetables and stuff, and they just towed the entire country. That is factually accurate. It is. <laughs> oh man so there you go there we go so folks come here for more information about Australia um, we've, we we know it all yep the Australian national anthem is <laughs> totally addicted to bass by I think Pure Tone it was originally the safety dance oh. and then they changed it <laughs> And the New Zealand National Anthem takes ages to listen to because it's actually just the Crowded House Greatest Hits album. <laughs> oh, man. And that is 
a bad, a hard one to sit through. I'll tell you that. What? <laughs> I have to say, I quite liked Crowded House. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure. I did. I think uh, Neil Finn did a band that was quite good as well, like a kind of solo band um, that was pretty good. I don't remember the name of it now. It'll come back to me, I'm sure. Are you thinking of Split Ends that came before? No, it was after. It's like fairly recent, um, maybe the last 10 years. Hmm. It's pretty good. Oh, well, there you go. You've gone from bashing them to going, that is quite good. <laughs> That's it. That's it. I'm a bit MOR, right? Right at the at my core. Uh, there's a bit moderate rock in me as well. <laughs> I I do a really good Neil Finn impression. Let's hear it. <laughs> exactly. So fair. <laughs> point. Well, my first two albums that I ever bought were pretty pretty soft rock, so I'm nobody to be uh, criticising anybody. It was uh, Vagabond Heart by Rod Stewart and Waking Up the Neighbours by Brian Adams. <laughs> so... uh, was Brian Adams just really popular in Ayrshire? It was like 1991 and I was uh, <laughs> I was very young, so I thought it would be those were the things that I was I enjoyed. Well, I've I've got a cousin who also lived in Ayrshire at the time, and she was a massive Brian Adams fan. Oh, aye, aye. There's like a kind of whole summer of '69 thing in Ayrshire. People seem to love that. She had a a silver bright like a Brian Adams silver disc. Ah, oh, right, like a CD. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was just she just put it down the wrong way. <laughs> now uses it as a coaster. Yeah. <laughs> very cool. Very cool. So, yeah. <laughs> so, what have you listened to? The, what have you watched this week, Roscoe? Oh yeah, no, I was, I was going to say that. I was just, I was laughing because my my phone keeps ringing, but it's on silent, and I'm just like, ah, <laughs> just let people think that I'm dead. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> that's <laughs> yo, come on, oh. Oh man, okay. Oh, I'm um, that comment. <laughs> I've I've missed five phone calls since we started. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What have you watched this, oh! Roscoe? <laughs> have you heard from Gil? No, I haven't heard from him. I tried to phone him. <laughs> I'm gonna try and phone him the now and see if he's alright. <laughs> I've not heard anything from him. I'm quite glad. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear yeah um so what have i watched um well this week <laughs> this week uh myself and gil were very privileged to join the phantom eric on his show 100 years of horror which is also in the horrorphilia podcast network um so i had the chance to to watch a few of those and get a chance to kind of revisit um and in a lot of cases, well, for, for me, uh, the films that I watched were pretty new on me, so it was uh, great. I, I got to see Horror of Dracula, um, so over here known as uh, Dracula from 1958, um, Curse of Frankenstein uh, and Revenge of Frankenstein, and also listened to the, also watched the uh, Mark Gattis History of Horror uh, program um, about the Hammer. That, uh, that was a really good program. 
Yeah, it was great, and I think because it was so personal um, and didn't try to cover absolutely everything or be comprehensive, the fact that it just focused on the things that interested him made it so much better, in my opinion. It was only let down by the fact that he'd only ever seen two Hammer films and therefore it was only seven minutes long. <laughs> he had only seen two Hammer films. Yeah, I was kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's not. I really enjoyed it. I liked the fact that it was. He only really focused on. He gave particular focus to certain films and ignored the rest. It was pretty, pretty good from that perspective. Um, yeah. So uh, if people want to check that out, it's a hundred years of horror um, on Facebook. I think we give out more information. Oh, sorry, on iTunes. I think we give more information out at the end of the show. Um, so yeah. That's been about it. Um, then the films for this week, which all have a uh, robotic theme. Very, it, very robotic. I only just realised that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, so, yeah, we've got... Uh, this week coming up, we've got... Robocop. Uh, <laughs> comfortable chairs. Um, we've got... Um, <laughs> We've got Robotropolis. Um, we've got Pacific Rim. Yay! Um, <laughs> and the Mockbuster from the Asylum Atlantic Rim. Yay! Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, so we're, we're going to be discussing those in a bit more detail. Um, and is there anything else? Or No, I, I think we should get straight on with the rimming. Do you know, that sounds like a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so we'll have a short break and then we'll be back after this. This is Jamie from Devour the Podcast. Do you enjoy horror commentary with straightforward honesty? Oh my God, fuck this movie. Fuck this movie so hard. Oh my goodness, you know, I, halfway through this movie, I was just like, let's get this thing going. Fuck this movie. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Humor and an obvious passion for the genre. I like the cut of your jib. The what? ceiling, Grandma. Don't make me get out the broom. Oh, your tears are like wine. They used to call that the vapors. Cupcakes are kind of the Schindler's list of desserts. It's it's a, a pure good. I love the idea of up-and-coming horror directors taking on the found footage genre. I really, really like that idea. And that's really the worst thing you can commit as far as filmmaking is concerned, is making a film that's just average. Well, that doesn't really inspire any kind of exactly. discussion, whether it's, you know, to rip it apart or, or praise it. Then you should spend time with David and me. And Bo. As we discuss horror films from old classics. Deep Red. Empire of the Ants. Lisa and the Devil. The Baby. The Toxic Avenger. The New Favorites. Absentia. Cabin in the Woods. The Loved Ones. Shadow of Death. VHS. The Woman. Check us out on iTunes or at devourthepodcast.blogspot.com. Devour the Podcast is a proud member of the Horrorphilia Podcasting Network. Okay, so we're about to discuss uh, Robotropolis. Gil, would you like to, to fill us in? Uh, yeah, it's uh, a science fiction action adventure film written and directed by Christopher Hatton, mm-hmm. who is uh, a very strange man because he made this film. <laughs> it stars Zoe Naylor, Graham Sibley, and Edward Foy. That's pretty much it for the cast. Stellar lineup. Yeah. Uh, a group of reporters are covering the unveiling of a new facility. 
that is completely maintained by robot prototypes. When yep. one of the robots goes haywire, the reporters find themselves not just reporting on the malfunction, but fighting for their lives. Yeah. So there it is. Um, yeah, so Gil, what was your... What did you think of this one? Uh, you know, because I, you texted me during the week and you said that it was amazing. And that you loved it. I, I wasn't sure. I was thinking, this guy, there's no way anybody can come out of this film and think... This is amazing. I love it. I love it! <laughs> no, uh, I started off quite liking it. Right, okay. You know, and then it just went on for too long. And it's only 80 minutes long. For sure. And it still went on for far too long. And then because it's so many, like, just things that I thought, that's that's wrong. I mean, it had quite a, as you say, it had quite a strong intro. The introduction had the was it a soldier that was uh, it was a kind of point of view uh, camera that was on this soldier's head, and he was trying to I think he was trying to find another one of his teammates, um, and he just comes over the brow of this hill and he sees his teammate's body lying and uh, decapitated, and a robot standing over to the left of him. Yeah, well. That POV bit at the start, uh-huh. you're kind of thinking, this will come back at some point. This yep. is, we're, we're going to figure out what this was, what was happening. Mm-hmm. Never happens. Never, no, ever, ever happens. And so, so I mean, the, the part of it there is that there's, there's some kind of malfunction in the robots. That's what's implied, and there's a point point in the film as well where another character says um, where one of the reporters says one of the robots has killed somebody an employee and then one of the other employees says what again as if this is a malfunction that's happened before Um, but later on they make some kind of comment along the lines of this kind of malfunction couldn't possibly happen yep and that this has been done as a one off uh-huh, by, by the creator of the robots, because uh, big business stole his idea. Yep, that's it. But also, uh, the place where the robots are is supposed uh-huh. to be completely maintained by robots. Sure. So why are there people there? I don't think it's completely maintained. I don't think they, they make that point. They say that they work alongside uh, people. I think that's just the synopsis that's saying that. But why are the robots armed? Well, that's that. There's a robot, that's, the first robot you see is playing football with a bunch of kids outside. Yep. And they go, oh, look, this robot's like joining in with the soccer game. And then it shoots somebody. <laughs> I'd be like, wait sure. a minute, who's the fucking idiot that put the armed robot in to play football? <laughs> yep. So is this supposed to be set in is it South Africa or... or- Singapore, I'm seeing here. Um, yeah, so it's it's almost like a kind of colony that's the um, a colony of uh, citizens who are quite happy to live alongside the robots, quite happy to work alongside them. Um, and the narrative structure, I mean, it starts off with um, after the the initial introduction sequence, it starts off with a kind of documentary uh, crew. It's a it's a live news broadcast. It's just uh-huh. meant to be like a little puff piece. 
Sure. And then somebody gets shot. Uh-huh. And it just keeps... Then it... I like the way the from that point on, it started to do this kind of rolling news thing. Uh-huh. It was showing it to you the way that it was being broadcast to everybody else. Yep. And that that felt quite quite nice and almost genuine in right. parts. But then it was just the story that just the way it just kept jumping and I was just see if they'd done it like that mm-hmm. and they hadn't had this if it had been one just one single robot. Uh-huh. Instead of it being every robot. I mean, I I think that it's a film that kind of lost its way, maybe about twenty five minutes in. Right. Okay. When it, I mean, some of the behind the, you've got the people in the newsroom that are talking about their friends that are out there and they're worried about them, and they're just getting to watch live what's happening, but then it all just kind of falls apart. Sure. And becomes this just stupid, generic, made-for-TV action movie thing that it could have managed to avoid being. Sure, sure. Do you think it becomes an action movie? Because I don't think it really achieves that. Well, it, it like a made-for-TV action movie, you know, where they don't really have much of a budget. And you can tell a lot of the budget in this film's probably been spent on the CGI robots. Cause right, some- right. Some of, some of the time, they look quite good. They do look good. I mean, that seems to be one of the major flaws with the film, is that the, the robots do look all right, but they don't seem to... They seem quite incongruous a lot of the time. They don't seem like they've been properly matched to the landscape, to where they are. Um, there's times where, for example, there's a scene... I think it's a kind of sewage tunnel that they're standing in, and the, the robots... There's two robots approaching from this other side of the river yep. um, and they just look incongruous they don't look like they're part of the landscape they look like they've been uh, put onto the, the landscape um, and I think well, maybe a bit a bit more time uh, and attention given to that that could have been done it's I, don't, I mean I don't know I don't know I'm not the guy to uh, to say about that it's the but, Alien 3 problem I think but but not only that, you've got things where there's the guy that's broadcast that's like the the anchor. Yep. And at one point, he's he's telling people that there's been a big rampage with all these robots that hadn't been covered by the news crew before they lost their camera. They're yep. then showing footage of it. The wasn't footage that they'd shot. It was. A scene where they're just looking. Uh huh. Because there's this, there's this ridiculous bit where they're saying about I, I don't know if this is the same bit you're meaning, but they're saying that this could turn into an angry mob, and there's like seven of them standing. <laughs> it's, it's not as if that's going to turn into a riot, is it? It's like no. And and if these robots are meant to be for maintenance, uh huh. Then well, why do they have guns? Why do they have guns? And also, why have they been uh, trained that they can? They can hunker down and run like a panther. Yep. <laughs> what yep. sort of maintenance requires that? Exactly. And it's yeah. is it an oil refinery or something they're supposed to I think to it's be? an oil refinery that they're working in, yeah. Yeah. The robots blow that up. 
Uh-huh. I mean, they weren't built specifically for that purpose. They were built yeah. as, as multi-purpose robots with the idea that they would then be ruled out by this company over time. Um, and that's the 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 probably the best person in this is the the kind of president of the uh, the kind of well sorry the, I'm saying kind of votes here sorry uh, the president of the company that that's building the robots and um, he's probably probably gives the best performance in my opinion because he does seem like uh, the kind of venture capitalist that we that we know and love um, yeah. who would who would try something like this and that would be able to to convince people that this was an absolutely awesome idea. Um, but the great the, the the flaw in that is that there is virtually no resistance from from the people, um, from the people who are living in this colony. And the reality is if something like that were to happen, just thinking about it on a practical level, it's gonna have a lot of implications because people people's jobs are gonna be on the line as a result of these robots. So how are they then gonna sustain themselves uh, on this colony that's presumably expensive to that what is it, Newtown? How are they gonna be able to sustain Newtown without uh, without jobs? Yeah. And why why would why wouldn't people be resistant to that? Everybody who's interviewed is incredibly positive about the robots and uh, making jokes about it and so on. Um which <laughs> I realise how stupid this sounds, but it's like you need to think about these things if you're going to make a film about about robots that are going to be living within a colony. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, especially if they're going to take on all the maintenance roles. Or exactly. Maybe nobody that was interviewed worked in maintenance. Exactly. Perhaps. What, one of the people who is interviewed is a woman who works in a supermarket, and I thought it was quite quite interesting how we've already seen. Uh, that kind of thing already moving into a supermarket, uh, the supermarkets that, that we have, and certainly in this country with the self-service machines, uh, where we've got five self-service machines and one teller. Yeah. Um, and the, the choice is obvious. You're going to go to, if you're in a hurry, you're going to go to the self-service uh, checkout unless you're making a, a political stance about that issue. And most people aren't, though. But I, but I don't go to the self-service. Yeah, I know, but that's that's you making a, a conscious political stance. Most people aren't that kind of aware of doing that kind of thing, so they, they would be quite happy to either to just use the self-service without thinking about it. But that's not why I don't go to them. I don't go to them because they don't fucking work half the time. <laughs> yeah, you're right. And also, see if you buy anything that has an age restriction on it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You have to wait on the teller who half the time isn't even paying any fucking attention. <laughs> I like the Morrisons ones because they say, "Please wait, the assistant, the assistant is coming." Yeah, but yeah, I just I don't like them. They talk to you too much. I I'd much rather stand in a queue and be served by a real person than stand there and do the fucking job for them. Yeah, but the the point I was trying to make, I suppose, is that the, the there is that already that that kind of idea is already and and it's played out to some extent in this film where we get this woman uh, talking about how she's uh, one of her workmates is a robot and uh, and a store. Yeah, but I I just I feel that this film hadn't hadn't put enough effort into anything like that. No, at you're all. right. And the continuity is just awful. Sure. You know, a lot of things are left unanswered, but I think that they don't think that they were left unanswered. 
you know, at no point do you go, oh, at least they left that little bit of mystery. Yep. And when so, the oil refinery's on fire, uh-huh. there's meant to be, like, the whole place is now full of smoke and they're running about. At no point do any of them even cough. It's burning oil. That would yep. be that would be really fucking hot in their lungs. They would be finding it difficult to breathe. They would pass yep. out. But no, they spend like half an hour running about looking for a fucking child. Yep. And then One when of they the... find the child, they leave the child in a bathroom <laughs> and then go back two minutes later and the child's gone. And then they don't find the child again. You're like, what the fuck was that subplot all about? It was, it was full of missed opportunities, I think. It's, it is, I mean, it is pretty throwaway in, in a lot of respects. And I would say that it does rise above the average of these uh, these kind of mockbuster films, um, which a lot of the time isn't really saying much. Um, the, the average is exceptionally poor with a lot of these films, and this does attempt to do something that's slightly different, um, but by no stretch is it a good film. Um, it's, got, <laughs> it's got some good ideas. Um, I mean, there's another part where they had the opportunity to have a very, very effective sequence where I think it's Lisa or Sky. She's a camera operator, um, and she's been taken into custody uh, by a police robot. And she's coming towards the camera. She's speaking to uh, our main character, Christiane, and. There's this. There's a real opportunity for this to be a very tense, uh, exciting scene uh, where she gets shot for no reason whatsoever without warning, um, and they really failed to deliver on that. I think that was one of the kind of standout moments for me, where I felt that they could have really uh, knocked it into the back of the net and and did something quite disconcerting, um, but they failed to do it. I think that is the point where up until then you've been going, oh, this is okay. Yeah, you're right. And then after that, you just go, "What? Well, wait a minute, right? So this robot that's been programmed to kill everybody. Yep. Just lets these other two people run past it. Yep, yep. Yeah. So what, what did you think of the performances that I mentioned? For example, the uh, Dr. Roshan Manik, the, the kind of head of the, the robot company. What do you think of him? I think it's I think it's Tobin as the other guy the the kind of uh, the inventor of the robots. Yeah, I I thought the there was interesting stuff on that side that they could have showed more of because yep. the performances there were just a wee bit more believable. But yeah, I felt like, like the the whole camera crew thing, the performances on that side just started to disintegrate. Yep. As it went on, and it was, it was just showed promise, went pish. I yeah, absolutely. That was the main problem for it. So, if anybody wants my copy, then they can have it. I'd yeah, even, mine too. <laughs> we should have some kind of competition. I don't even want the pound. <laughs> <laughs> Robot wars. Yep. <laughs> Whoever loses takes this DVD. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah, so not a recommend by any stretch. Um, as I say, slightly better than the average uh, mockbuster or, or kind of very low budget 
it's not a mockbuster. It's just a very, very low budget uh, science fiction film. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's definitely not a recommend for me, Gil. No, no, me neither. Okay. Cool. Um, so that was Robotropolis. Um, so from 2011, uh, guys, we'll take a short break and we'll be back to discuss uh, Atlantic the, Rim, the amazing prequel to uh, Pacific Rim, uh, Atlantic Rim. Okay, we'll be back after this. Take a journey with the Phantom Eric as he explores the last 100 years of horror. 100 films to be explored, each one with the related themes, actors, and directors that made the last century of horror cinema so great. Travel the world from Germany to Scandinavia, Italy to France, North America and everywhere in between, with no stone left unturned. The zombies are locked up, the vampires are asleep, and the prowlers have slain their last group of campers for the night. So take the hand of the Phantom American Lester Reaper, as this is one time travel experience you won't want to miss. Okay guys, and we're back to discuss Atlantic Rim from 2013. Brought to you by your friends at the Asylum uh, and directed by Mr. Jared Cohen and written by Richard Lima, Thunder Levin and Hank Woon Jr. It stars uh, David Chocacci as Red, Jared Cohen as Spitfire, Anthony Treach Chris as Jim, Nicole Dixon as Dr. Margaret Adams, uh, Jenny uh, Evans as Dr. Quinn Baker, Graham Green as Admiral Hadley, and Jackie Moore as Tracy. So the plot synopsis, following the mysterious disappearance of an oil rig and a reconnaissance mini-submarine in the Gulf of Mexico, scientist Dr. Margaret Adams, played by Nicole Dixon, initiates the Armada program, which consists of giant robots designed for deep-sea rescue. The three robots, piloted by Red, Tracy and Jim, dive nearly 800 fathoms to the seabed where they not only discover the mangled remains of the oil rig, but encounter the monster that brought it down. And the story continues from there. Um, Sadly. Yeah, so... (laughs) So the, the three main... Three main protagonists in this film are uh, Red, Jim, and Tracy, and they pilot these three uh, massive robots. They're the hot shots. The hot shots, yeah. And Red's, Red's a bit of a maverick, but not in a Top Gun maverick type way. Cause... Yes. yes, he doesn't play by the rules to get results. <laughs> I barely see him playing by any rules at all during this film. <laughs> There's no no rules of common sense. There's no rules of decency. <laughs> I like the fact that the the first time you're introduced to Red and Tracy, uh-huh. the two of them appear to be a bit pissed at Mardi Gras. <laughs> they're both steaming and stumbling out. These are the best we've got. Yeah, I like the fact that they're so drunk they've wandered out into the parade, uh-huh. and they're going up to the side high fiving people. And it's just like, <laughs> oh yeah, about it. This is this is the troops. Yep. <laughs> We're supposed to be supporting these fucking drunk people that look like they're about to hump each other in the middle yep. of the street. Uh-huh. <laughs> You're like, no. 
But I do like the mini submarine because it's got a bit of a TARDIS thing going on with it. Sure, sure. Um, okay, so what did you think of the different... Well, obviously we've got the supporting characters as well. Uh, Dr. Margaret Adams, who, as we said, is in charge of the Armada programme, which, which this is a part of. Um, and uh, Graham Greene's character, which is Admiral Hadley, um, who... Is he a naval commander, Gil, or what is he? Yeah, he's he's in charge of trying to find out what happened to this oil rig. Sure. And then she says, we should use the Armada program. And he's going, you just want to use the Armada program because it's your program. I don't yep. want to use the Armada program. Sure. Although, actually, Graham Greene puts far less effort into the lines than I just yeah. did. He looks oh. like he's reading it off a distant wall that he uh-huh. can't quite read and he just wants to go home. I I think the, the thing is, Graham Greene's probably the, one of the biggest names in the film, or one of the, the bigger names anyway in the film and, and having achieved more success than most of the people in the film. But he doesn't really put in much in effort into this performance at all. He certainly is the one person that's, that's putting in the least effort, in my opinion. Would you agree with that? Yeah, definitely. He's he's like the sort of person that you would expect to be playing a colonel in their first ever acting role. Not to yep. not to be like, oh, this is Graham Greene, who I'm pretty sure has been nominated for awards. For, yeah, that's right. For like, uh, dances with wolves. Wolves. Yep. And he was in the X Files. Sure. He's a very recognisable person, and mm-hmm. you just watching this, you think. Why have they got him? Uh-huh. He's like the think... complete opposite of the other guy, yep. the mm-hmm. the other army guy whose mm-hmm. whose name I can't remember. Was it Dagger? Uh huh. He was he was very oh sorry guys. Oh guys, yeah. Who was uh-huh. just just angry? Uh huh. All the but way. He was quite <laughs> believable as well. He, he did have a he 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 put his all into the performance. You kind of I I I wouldn't. Uh, hold that against him in terms of his performance. Yeah, but he's just really, really angry about everything, and yep. <laughs> Admiral Hadley just seems like he just couldn't give a shit. No, he really couldn't. He really couldn't. Um, and I think the the reason why they had had Graham Greene playing Admiral Hadley is, is probably quite obvious, because it's guys like that that are able to give a certain degree of... Um, Credibility. Yeah, credibility and believability to a story like this. And I think if you can have somebody like that in a central role, uh, firing on all cylinders, then it becomes believable. Um, And unfortunately, in this instance, it doesn't seem to have been particularly interested in the film, um, perhaps. Uh, More a a job than, than than anything else. Yeah, it plays out like an episode of Power Rangers. It does. I mean, there's it's it's got elements of kind of Power Rangers and uh, ep- bits of the the Avengers in it as well. Yeah. Um, because we've got the the fight in the the uh, center of Manhattan with with Fing Fang Foom, and some other things like that. Um, what did you think of the the creature effects? I I thought that the the dragons looked all right. Uh-huh. But I thought that the the robots just kind of they just didn't fit at uh-huh. all. You know, I like the fact that they sit in the chest compartment of the robots. 
Sure. And the robot's still got a head that isn't really used for anything. <laughs> it's like, it just sits there like a loft. And these robots are... Summer house. Yeah, yeah. the robots are massive. But then when it shows you them, they're you can see them in these giant robots looking yep. through, for some strange reason, not one window, but two. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it's... It just looks like somebody's going, well, we'll just copy a Transformers idea, that'll be fine. And they've forgotten how tiny the people are meant to be compared to these robots. So the size of the windows is just completely insane. And then it yep. cuts to inside where they're uh-huh. they're sitting in a fucking shed. Yeah, so it's the kind of control room type idea that we saw in uh, Pacific Rim. <laughs> no, it's not! How's it not? Because they're, because they're using quick-fire joysticks to control the robot. And yeah, just but then as it, as it moves on, it, they stop having the quick-fire and they start being mind-melded into the... Yeah. But so that's... Did you know- how, can you, <laughs> how can you pull me up for that one? No, I was, I was just going to ask, did you notice that the mini-sub that's really, uh-huh. really tiny, the two, uh-huh. the two ladies that are sitting controlling the mini-sub, not uh-huh. not only do they seem a wee bit sarcastic about everything they're doing, like a, a 40... This, this massive oil rig has disappeared. We want you to go and look for it. Oh, yeah, whatever. Yeah, we'll just take our mini-sub down. And it's meant to be like a proper little tiny sub. And then the control room that they're sitting in is fucking massive. You know, it, it just looks like a room. It, yeah. it ends up, it's like it's like Lex, uh-huh. the old sci-fi series. That's yeah. what I'd compare the effects to. Yeah. But I just I like to think that they that somebody accidentally just labelled mini sub control room and giant fuck off robot control rooms yeah. wrong. <laughs> so every every scene that was meant to be filmed in the giant robots has been filmed yeah. in the mini sub. <laughs> oh man, I don't. Th- I- didn't they find the uh, the effects too offensive? I have to say they, they did seem maybe about five or six years out of date or ten years out of date, but they were pretty good fun. I I certainly didn't mind the the creature battles or anything like that. I thought they were fairly well executed. Um, it was a big daft piece of yeah. Cinema is no cinema, but big daft piece of film. It's good. <laughs> a big daft piece of home media, not a big daft home piece media. of cinema. Home media, yeah, man. But I mean, you, you know what you're getting with these things, and I think this was certainly, um, certainly okay. It wasn't, it wasn't too bad, was it? It was better than Transformers: Dark of the Moon. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. And I mean, the three central characters, I enjoyed them pretty much as well. Um. Thought they were pretty good, and I, I didn't feel out. I didn't feel that I was being brought out of it any time they come on or anything. And I particularly liked um, what's her name, Margaret Adams, who we didn't really. Uh, well, we spoke about a wee bit, but I thought she was pretty good. I thought I thought I recognised her from somewhere, but she's not really been in anything. I don't think. No, but you'll be uh, keeping an eye on her. You'll be adding her to your IMDb watch list. What's she in next? And. <laughs> Yeah, um, the, probably the mockbuster for the Wolverine or something. Yep. <laughs> the, the ex-women, I don't know. That they'll accidentally call the Wolfman. The Wolfman. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, what was your opinion on it overall? What was your, your view? Uh, 
I kind of I found myself drifting away from it a wee bit at times. Sure. Like I, I think because of the limitations of how much CGI they could use, uh-huh. you know, they tried to make it more about the characters mm-hmm. without actually making you kind of care about the characters. Sure. Like Red spends a lot of time locked in a room yep. because he's disobeyed orders. Uh-huh. Even though before he gets like just after he gets put in the room, Admiral Hadley comes in and says, oh, "I'm so proud of you. proud of you, yeah, and, yep. But no, I'm so proud of you. I'll let you out this pokey room. <laughs> no, you're correct. And they can't kick the door in, but they they are able to completely destroy the lock just using three hits with a hammer. Yeah, there's also a kind of relationship element that that went, in my opinion. Wrong. Went went nowhere. It didn't really go anywhere. Um, they could have worked if they were doing what you said. Where they well, well, I agree with you. By the way, I do think that they were trying to focus on the characters and the, the relationships to try and get away from doing too much CGI and to work within their limitations, which is sensible and makes perfect sense. Mm. What I think they did wrong was they didn't focus on that enough um, on that relationship or certainly enough for us to really care yeah I think they they ruined it with the the scene where Jim and Tracy kind of sheepishly yep. tell Red that they had a kiss mm-hmm. once and then it turns out that it had only been a couple of weeks ago uh-huh. and Red just goes oh don't care it's alright yep. and it, I think is it a PG? I'm not sure, to be honest with you. Because the there's a, a scene at the start where Red gets insulted by a guy. Uh-huh. And the thing that the guy says to him that insults him is he calls him a squid. <laughs> right. And Red's all like, what did you say? It's like, you heard me. I called you a squid. <laughs> right, so it's possibly been, been edited a wee bit there to... No, it's not edited at all. The guy does just say squid. It's just been made made PG. Yeah. It's, <laughs> why, why didn't he call him a prick? Yep. <laughs> or a dick? Or a douche? Or a cunt? Or something? Yep. You know, it doesn't provoke a fight when somebody calls you a squid. Yep. What do you think, octopus boy? <laughs> I mean, one thing that stands in this film's credit... Uh, that you couldn't well one of the things that uh, Mark Kermode highlighted about uh, Pacific Rim was that it didn't pass the Bechdel test of having two named female characters who talk to each other about something other than a man Um, one thing to say about this film is that it certainly does have it does fulfill that um, and that there's a number of strong female characters in it not just one um, and in a lot of respects, Asylum's to be credited in that, and a lot of different uh, films where they've done similar things. Um, so, hats off to them for that, if nothing else. Yeah. Although Says I, us that have never had a woman on the show. I know, we're working on we it. Have, <laughs> we are working on it, folks, believe me. Um, but yeah. So, Asylum's <laughs> doing some things right, and I, I kind of... I've got a notion for um, for supporting the underdog in this case, and <laughs> I think there's something good about this film and something enjoyable about this film that people get a kick out of it. Um, is it worth seven pounds of your money? 
No. I don't know about that. Is it worth an hour and a half year time on if it comes out on Netflix? Almost certainly. Um, it's a laugh. It's good fun. I'd, I'd say look out for there's a scene at the end when a giant sure. when uh, Red's giant robot falls from space. Oh yeah! Everybody's everybody That's is right. as you can see super worried. Oh, and he just had the robot has supposedly just managed to, despite the fact that the Earth is still turning and everything, just land exactly where they are. <laughs> and somehow yep. somehow Red has simultaneously been thrown from the robot so that you don't have to have a scene where like, he's coming he's out, of, out of the robot. And, <laughs> and, and they're all standing looking, looking worriedly into the distance like yep. looking quite far off, as if oh, it's miles away. Where's Where's Red? Is he okay? And then Jim goes, "Oh, there he is!" And Red stands up, and he's like ten feet away from them, just going, "Yes!" <laughs> you're like, you, yeah. you fucking missed that. <laughs> Somebody buys them a round of drinks for saving the world, and you think, you know, could have put in a bit more effort to that. If they've saved the world, then they deserve more than a round of drinks. I like to think that two minutes later, another bunch of the military police turn up and go, you weren't supposed to take that robot in space. We're, <laughs> we're arresting you. <laughs> Sequel. And Red would be like, I'll just going back to the wee room then. Awesome. Okay, cool. Uh, so that was, uh, what's the name of it? Uh, Atlantic Rim. Yeah. Um, from your friends at the asylum. Um, it's uh, available just now, I believe, in Sainsbury's for three pounds. Is it? Uh, yes, it is. This so it's it's uh, it's, uh, it's it's worth a punt if nothing else for three pounds. But uh, if it's more than that, I'd say wait for Netflix and give it a look. Then does it have extras? <laughs> Probably not. I want it to be a director's commentary, like this, just so that you've got somebody to blame. No, just so I can watch the description of the initial scene when Red's being arrested. Yep. And then I think it was it Jim gets into a fight. Uh huh. And the military police won't let Red or Tracy help Jim because mm-hmm. they're like, no, we have to take you into custody right now. But then <laughs> they don't actually drive away until Jim's finished his fight. <laughs> yep. You're like, wait a minute, military police. Surely you should also intervene when somebody in the military is getting battered. Yeah. Jim also uh, also saves a little girl from smoke inhalation by holding her aloft on his yeah. uh, shoulders, yeah. which is the, the optimal place to avoid smoke, <laughs> as anybody knows. That, that is exactly what you do, is uh, <laughs> if, if you're in a building that's on fire... Seek out the nearest stepladder, <laughs> climb as high up as you can, and then try and bunny hop it along. Yep. So, yes, so Atlantic Rim, available now from your friends at the asylum. So, we'll be back, uh, we'll have a short break, and then we'll be back to discuss Pacific Rim. The definition of podcast a multimedia digital file made available on the internet for downloading to a portable media player, computer, etc. Horror Podcast, a multimedia digital file featuring horror-related news and movie reviews that is available on the internet for downloading to a portable media player, computer, etc. 
awesome horror podcasts, any multimedia digital files that are available from the Horophilia Network of Podcasts via horophilia.com, iTunes, Stitcher, and other outlets that you can download to your portable media player, smartphone, computer, etc. The Horophilia Network of Podcasts currently feature nine different podcasts such as Horophilia, Much of Madness, More of Sin, Dolls of Despair, Horophilia Recommends, Zombies Don't Podcast, Horror Hits, and many more. For more information, check out Horophilia.com and click on the tabs labeled Horophilia Network of Podcasts or the Podcast Index. We're looking forward to have you as part of the flock. Hello, and we're back to discuss Pacific Rim uh, 2013, uh, another blockbuster, um, directed by Guillermo del Toro um, and written by Travis Beecham and Guillermo del Toro. Um, and stars Charlie Hunnam as Raleigh Beckett, Diego Klattenhoff as Yancey Beckett, Idris Elba as Stakar Pentecost, Rinko Kikuchi as Marco Mori, Charlie Day as Dr. Newton Geisler, Bun Gorman as Gottlieb, and Max Martini as Herc Hansen. So, I- yeah, and we've also got Ron Perlman as well, which was awesome, um, as Hannibal Cho. And else interesting there, Gil? Uh, Robert Kaczynski, who's uh-huh. uh, Chuck Hansen. Oh, yeah, yeah. Robert Ka- Robert Kaczynski used to be in EastEnders. Is that right? Yep. Wow. So there's, there's Cockneys. Um, yeah. Well, I realised we're not discussing that this week. <laughs> just, just, about, no. just about everybody in this film seems to be using an accent that's not their own. Right, right. Because Charlie Hunnam is uh-huh. from Newcastle. Is that right? Yeah, he got his big break in the Channel 4 series Queer as Folk. Oh, I right enough, so it is. And, of course, Idris Elba. Uh-huh. He's, he's also English. Uh-huh. And... He uses an English accent and this. I thought he was kind of Americanized a wee bit. Well, it wasn't as bad as in Prometheus. Um, I thought it was a lot, a lot more... Uh, natural sounding when he was speaking in this. Yeah, and uh, that uh, Robert Kaczynski, as I said, he's he's English. Austral- uh-huh. That's not his Australian's not his natural accent. Sure, sure. <laughs> Which is actually quite obvious in this film. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, Charlie Hunnam's had a lot more practice because of Sons of Anarchy and shit like that. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Which he's also in with Ron Perlman. Queer's Folk was very good. It was uh, a, a kind of launching pad for quite a lot of different uh, male actors. And for the the writer. Who was the writer? That was uh, Russell T. Davies, who went on to bring God. Oh, yeah, back. of course. Yeah, wow. So there you go. Yep. Great. Great series. Really good series. Um, Okie doke. So... Um, the synopsis. As a war between mankind and monstrous sea creatures wages on, a former pilot and a trainee are piled up to drive a seemingly obsolete special weapon in a desperate effort to save the world from the apocalypse. So that's nice and uh, Con- nice and brief. Yeah, quite concise. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, so, Gil, what were your impressions of this one? Uh, I, I fucking loved it. <laughs> Yeah, I loved just about every minute of it. Yeah, I think I actually even I when it changed pace quite 
quite drastically and became this quite downbeat, weather-beaten people in a bunker thing that went on for about an hour. Uh-huh. I thought this is fucking brilliant. This is this is what you want from this sort of film. Sure. So um, yeah, I absolutely agree. Uh, I felt that it was so big um, and and so uh, over the top. It's a high concept idea, unashamedly so. It's robots versus monsters. That's it. And but at the same time, it managed to inject so much uh, good stuff into the. As you say, the bunker sequences were great. Um, the building of the walls uh, around were, was a very nice touch. This idea of humanity trying to find some kind of hope. Cowboy builders are always an ineffectual hope in this film. Proved. <laughs> <laughs> this, this proved that quite well. Yep. Yeah. So that was that was great. And um, there was, in my opinion, they, they really worked the two kind of comic characters, the two central comic characters who had their own separate storyline that I felt worked very well as well. Um, that was Charlie Day and Burn Gorman as uh, Dr. Geisler and Gottlieb, um, uh, which I thought was excellent. I know some people have criticised that as being uh, too calm or too, too silly. Um, but for me, I just I thought it was so good and it added an extra dimension to the film that wasn't necessarily there. Uh, that 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 didn't really need to be there, but that uh, added a hell of a lot to the the overall product. But it also really does need to be there. Because, it does, yeah, it does. Because you have a, a kind of what appears to just be a, a daft little subplot uh-huh. that ends up being critical to the the film itself. Yep. Mm-hmm. I I just I can't really criticize this film in any way whatsoever. Yep. Which is really pissing me off. <laughs> now, what did you think of Idris Elba? Well, I I love Idris Elba and just about everything he's in. I think he's just a really good actor. Mm-hmm. I I think most of the performances in this were pretty strong. Yeah, in my opinion, he totally sold the film. Um, having somebody of that stature, again, uh, really really works and if you can believe him then you can believe in the whole idea of the film and he plays this this kind of military leader who's um whose program's been shut down who's uh, who was previously involved in combat who's no longer able to be involved in con- combat and he played all the roles exceptionally well um, he was a father figure throughout to to the lead character but at the same time we made it quite clear that uh, his, his kindness shouldn't be uh, confused for weakness. Um, great performance, um, and it's such a huge movie. It just is. It is. I was. I went into this expecting it to have that kind of massive Transformers feel to it, where um, where you didn't necessarily care about what happened, um, but it looked cool. But I think they struck the balance very, very well. Yeah, I, I think the what I posted on Facebook just after watching this was uh, uh-huh. Michael Bay. Have you been to see Pacific Rim? I hope you were yep. paying attention. Yep, yep. Because it can be done. Yep. It's a thing. It can be done. It's possible to achieve this. Um, and yeah, I, I loved it. But I think I think actually it's lost a lot of money. Seems to have 
Yeah, it's, I mean, it cost 200 million, and I believe it was somewhere in the region of about 90 to 100 million um, in terms of the, the US gross. Um, the box office at the moment is sitting at 178.5 million. Okay, cool, cool. I think the great thing about this as well is that it's not too US centric. Yeah, because Atlantic Rim, that's US centric. Uh-huh. And Pacific Rim, that's that's on the other side. But and they seem to. They travel about quite a bit as well uh-huh. because you've got Tokyo and Australia and mm-hmm. uh, Alaska. Mm-hmm. So the the film moves about, but not in an annoying way. But they seem to almost be playing to that as well, to the Japanese culture as much as anything, in terms of the giant robots and the uh, Godzilla type or Lovecraftian, whichever you want to uh, to take it, dimensional monsters. Well, Del Toro is a a big Lovecraft fan, as Lots as we've said before on the podcast, and I think yeah. he had uh, apparently one of the briefs that he gave for the monsters was <laughs> that they don't. They don't look like anything that we can just say. Oh, it it's descended from this sort of creature. Sure. But also that they didn't look too Lovecraftian as well. Ah, right. Okay, that's very interesting. Because the designs were done by the same guy that had been doing the speculative designs for Mountains of Madness. Yep. Sure. And instead of using these awesome creature designs that they already had, they decided to just take it an entirely different way and try and create something that was just theirs. And that's admirable as well. And and I think the way they've marketed it as well has been pretty cool. They've done quite a lot of these kind of massive posters uh, with uh, like Gypsy Danger and then like a logo for Gypsy Danger, exactly the way that they would be marketed and, well, in the film, there's like a kind of subplot where people become kind of fans of the monsters and fans of the robots. Yeah. Uh, so they'll be doing a bit of kind of real world stuff around that and the similar kind of J.J. Abrams type uh, promotional strategy. Yep. The Kaijus and the Jaegers. Yep. That's the, the monsters and the robots. Yeah, sorry. For, yeah. for anybody uh-huh. that hasn't been to see it yet and anybody that hasn't been to see it yet, what the fuck? It's great fun. It's really, really good. Um, and I wouldn't say it's just like a kind of blokes film either. It doesn't. It look, it, I can imagine people would possibly think that oh, this is just a a film for guys to relive their youth. But I think it's. I think there's a lot more to it than that. Um, well, so it's a fine piece of work. I think one of the first things I said when I came out of the cinema from seeing this was, "My mum would <laughs> love that." Ah, there you go. <laughs> But she also does love Hellboy, as yep. mentioned the other week. So, so it's, I think it's the right kind of epic and the right kind of summer blockbuster. I think it's um, very entertaining, and I would definitely recommend that people check it out. It definitely tries tries to puzzle you a bit as well, because it makes you think at one point that, oh, well, fuck, this is going to go into a sequel. Uh-huh. This is going to have to go into a sequel. Yep. And then... It just doesn't. And I'm, I'm not sure if they would even consider doing a sequel sure. at the moment. Mm-hmm. I, I think the way they've the way they left the film was just just right. Yep. Yep. So you saw the film in three D, I saw it in two D. Um what did you think of the three dimensions? 
Was it worth paying extra for that? Uh, I I think it it was. I really enjoyed the the 3D because it wasn't <laughs> a lot of popping out of the screen. They added more depth to it, mm-hmm. so it was it was more enjoyable to watch. And like the the Transformers films, where when there's the big fights going on, mm-hmm. you you get to the point where you you just you can't tell which robot's which anymore. Sure. You, you stop caring which robot's which. In this, you could totally tell which was which and everything that was going on, and the action was just so perfectly paced. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, it definitely was. I mean, the the scene from the, the trailer that would probably make anybody go, I really want to go and see that, is mm-hmm. the... The one of the the Jaeger walking up the street, ca- yep. carrying a boat behind it, yep. to, to use as a club. <laughs> yep. <laughs> there's uh, there's also a kind of nice rivalry that plays out between the one of the members of the Australian team, yeah, and uh, one of the the riders of Gypsy Danger, um, and that again is in true form and the kind of presumably in this the same kind of style of the, the films that have influenced Gil, uh, del toro's work here um that's tied up about three quarters of the way uh, into the into the film um which is great because then that's no sitting in the back of your mind that's tied up nicely um and then we can move on from there and, and enjoy the the ending for what it is that relationship is very like top gun Right, okay. That is, that's, I'd say that's Maverick and Iceman. Right, right, uh, okay. You know, I, I don't trust you. You're uh, you're unruly. I don't think you can do that. You're just dangerous. Yeah. But not in a not in a bad way. Sure. Because Top Gun's still a good film, even though it's one of the campest films of all time. It's <laughs> it's a highly entertaining romp. Yep. Romp being the operative word. <laughs> There's, um, okay. there's a lot of towel flicking goes on in that changing room. <laughs> Way more than you would expect from people that are supposed to be like the first line of defence. Yeah, absolutely. I can't go out and fly my plane today. Why not? Because Goose went and hit me in the nuts with his towel. <laughs> it's a vicious flick. <laughs> awesome. Okay, guys. Um, so we'll probably uh, have a short break there and come back to close out the show. What do you mean, probably, Kimo Sabi? So we'll be back after this. Excuse me, what are you doing? Are you looking for porn again? No. Well, what is that I see? It's not porn. It's the badassboobsandbodycounts.com website. I happen to be looking at the reviews in the boobs section of the site. They have a section of the site dedicated to boobs? Yes, they do. They cover exploitation films in the boobs category, action films in the badass category, and horror in the body counts category. What's that other option? B, B, and B, C podcast? If you're not into reading the reviews, you can listen to them via the web on your mobile device through iTunes and they cover the same types of films lesser known action exploitation and horror cinema so yeah to answer your question I wasn't cruising porn that's too bad what's too bad that you weren't cruising for porn uh why because I was feeling kind of horny oh wait 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 wait! get back here hey get back here okie doke guys um so uh another another episode of the Bodacious Horror Podcast is officially in the can <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to keep talking. I was going to do like, oh, some kind of funny turn there. 
Um, so yeah, so thank you so much for listening. Um, what, what have we got? We've got a few things coming up this week. Um, where are you just having your sandwiches? What, what are you opening there? I'm opening my freezer and getting myself some ice cubes. All right, okay, cool. Um, oh yeah, and also this week we're uh, very privileged to be on uh, 100 Years of Horror with the Phantom Eric, uh, which will be really cool. And he's here! Hello, Eric. Hello, you guys got me out of the boiler room for another night. Right, good. Back in the trunk. <laughs> That's where Lester was for about five years before I took him out. Yeah, it was a, it was great having you guys on. We we talked about the uh, the Hammer horror series of films and uh, highlighted horror of Dracula from 1958. And uh, you guys had a lot of great stuff to say. So um, I hope all your listeners come and check check you guys out. I know they haven't they can't get enough of you during the week. <laughs> I, I know they they, def- yes. they they definitely can't. Some of them don't. <laughs> some of them can't get any of us during the week. <laughs> I know some people listen to you in the bathtub. No, I listen to you in the bathtub. (laughs) So you can subscribe to The Phantom Eric on iTunes and also via the Horrorphilia Podcasting Network. Yes, it's all a bunch of incestuous fun there. Yeah, awesome. What are you doing next week, Eric? Next week, you can find us. uh, We're going to be tackling another big uh, topic from 1959 with William Castle and the uh, film The Tingler. So Awesome, wow. So yeah, um, check that out if you get the chance. Uh, we've also just recorded an interview with Trevor Yinger, the writer and director and editor of the film Coyote. Um, so that should be quite interesting. That will be going up uh, in a couple of weeks' time. But most importantly, and uh, I'm sure you'll be in the edge of your seat to hear that we're... <laughs> Gil's certainly on the edge of his seat. Um, <laughs> Finally, people are going to be like, they're not going to do it, are they? They're not going to do it, are they? Are they going to do it? It's Shark Week, ladies and gentlemen. Shark Week is coming your way. Bodacious Horror have officially jumped the shark, uh, and we're going to be covering some magnificent uh, movies, including Mega Shark versus Giant Octopus, Jaws, the shark exploitation edit, um, one of either Sand Sharks or Swamp Shark, and what's the other one? Sharknado, of course. Are, because I was only kidding that we should do Sharknado. Oh well, let's <laughs> not. <then. laughs> I, I I think that Sharknado is just a fucking advertising campaign run amok. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, it's. Sharks and tornadoes, Sharknado, and then everybody goes like, oh, this would be so cool to watch, let's watch this, this would be brilliant, let's all watch it in a fucking, like, postmodernist way. Which Which is exactly what we've built a career on. (laughs) That's that's our whole show, Gil, don't don't undermine it, this is, uh, we are, we are the... The mods. (laughs) We are the new cinema. What what's the what's the We are the new flesh. No, the asylum's got like a slogan and it's something like this is the new Hollywood. That's that. So that's that's what we are. <laughs> um so yeah, those are the films that we're gonna be covering. Uh, we've got a friend Thomas Hughes who's been boning up on <laughs> his knowledge of of sharks. So he's gonna be he's gonna be 
sharking all over the joint yep. uh, next week. So stick around for that. And when uh, does that come out? I believe that comes out in Shark Week. Motherfucking Shark Week. I know, we didn't even plan it. It was not uh, was not deliberate. It was just like one of these things we've been putting off for so long. <laughs> yep. That we, we finally felt we needed to do it um, to, just to get it out of our systems. Um, so, yeah. So we've got that coming up. Um, and anything else, Gil? Any other business? Uh, what is this? It's just the, it's, the, it's the annual general meeting. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Annual general meeting, rather. Yeah, it's or yeah. Sorry, you went all fuzzy there when you said annual general meeting. Annual general meeting. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm. I'm not sure. We still haven't sorted it, finalised anything for the live one yet. But as soon as we have got anything sorted, I. I will say that maybe something that we're talking about on Shark Week will be happening at the live thing. <laughs> Yeah, we any luck. Um, so, yeah, uh, if you want to get in touch with us, uh, you can leave a review on iTunes. It helps us a lot. Um, if you do that, if you leave a positive review, we'd be most delighted. Um, it stops Roscoe crying himself. It does. It does. Um, you can also go into our new website, which is bodaciousshorror.co.uk, um, where you can stream the latest episode on Stitcher, um, and you can see our news feeds and various other things like that um, you can find us on Twitter at Bodacious Horror and at Gil Rokitansky and people can email us as well can't they it's like feedback at bodaciousshorror.co.uk yeah. so if you want to do that go ahead cool um, so we'll be back next week for Shark Week um, and thank you all once again for listening yeah it's been fun I really, I'm, I'm going to go and see Pacific Rim again at some point. <laughs> yeah, man. Cool. I, have you enjoyed rimming with me? Ah, always go, always. Bye, everybody. Night, night. Breathing, my friend.